Well, good morning. It's been an interesting week, to say the least. I've realized, well, I realized I'm not exactly an autodidact in the sense that, I mean, I was taught how to learn, and I had some teachers, and I've had a number of teachers, but I'll give you an example how uncommon this is. I've told you before about how wrong people get Nietzsche, and I think it's just because they don't read it. They just listen to what other people tell them because if you just read any of this stuff, like uh, will to power, Willenmacht, it means what propels you. Read Beyond Good and Evil. If you don't understand Nietzsche, he wrote that book because he realized people didn't understand him. So the example this morning is I'm just flipping through Instagram and I follow a couple of uh, quote uh, things just you know it brings things to mind for me it's kind of cool you know uh, so this morning it was uh, Seneca and it was one of his quotes and don't don't give me too much trouble if it's not Seneca but it's the idea behind it it's a quote I've heard before and I haven't double checked it uh, the quote goes that to the common people they hold religion to be true to the wives they hold it to be false and to the leaders or your political cadre, they consider religion to be useful. And uh, I find it funny because most people are going to take it at face value and not read what is meant to be taught the lesson. Because the true lesson is the tetralemma. It is the chattiscoti. It, it's, it might be A, it might be B, it might be C, it might be a combination of all the above, or it might be none. In this case, arguably, it's closer to none. Because the common people hold religion to be true, which is false. As uh, Jung said, Christ was just an image. He was a character, a myth, is a myth. How about that the wise hold it to be false? Well, it's not false either, is it? Right? Because it is beneficial, religion. Right? We're not talking about a specific religion. We're talking about a path you follow with devotion and commitment. That's not false. That's actually quite beneficial. So how about the last one? That a politician might consider religion... for control over others, right? This will to power is simply for your own. Again, read Beyond Good and Evil. It, it's what powers you, what propels you. So if you believe that you can use religion to control others, you've failed. Failed to understand others and failed to understand religion and failed to understand yourself. And certainly in this case, you failed to understand the lessons. So the people hold it to be true. That's not what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to have doubt, naturally. But you're supposed to trust. Right? I said this before. The true secret is to act without regret. Because you know you're acting in, you know, everyone's best interest based on the information at hand. Uh, and if you were wrong, well, you certainly tried your best, right? Intention. 
Right? So you shouldn't consider religion as true. Right? First rule of logic is doubt. So you also shouldn't consider yourself wise if you would consider religion to be false. This is the enantiodromia that uh, Jung talks about that we'll all get to eventually. This <sighs> movement to the opposite. Me, I used to be quite devoutly atheist. I've explained this before. I wasn't anti-everything, but I was against the theist idea. I was more like Spinoza or Emerson. But as time went on, I became more agnostic, unsure. And I haven't really changed from that position, but I am very certainly right in the middle of the camp. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But it goes so far as Vedanta. I find myself in the Vedanta uh, camp that I see the unity in all of these faiths, these religions, these protocols, these philosophies. I see no difference between the, the uh, systems that are, are seeking for individual liberation, for a collective unity, what have you. These ones that are truly looking to benefit others uh, and treating others as equal. In fact, most of the religions uh, see it that way, it's just man has kind of uh, denatured some of them over time. If you actually go back to the source material, the vast majority of them speak to this unity of, of uh, well, I mean, I don't know what's politically uh, correct to say, but <clears throat> our culture, our, our humanity. And, and I don't know if this relates, but there was an interesting discussion recently on identity politics. And I've talked about this for a while, and I feel that the, the real failure is being missed. Identity politics is finally being criticized for the fact that it's, it's arbitrary, it's theater. It is a fiction, but it's not a happy fiction, as Jung uh, once uh, recommended. The problem is our disconnection from each other from ourselves, from our true identities, our culture. As I said to the wife yesterday, I, I, as a Canadian, our Prime Minister said there was no Canadian identity, and, and I just was aghast at that, because we've had many famous Canadians write about this. There certainly is a Canadian identity, and if that lies strictly in an ethos, uh, uh, that would be fine, but it doesn't. Right? It's not just how we think and how we feel. There is an identity that is Canadian, but it is not as easy to put together as, say, some sort of arbitrary, invented identity in your head. Because the Canadian identity was much closer to that via negativo that I mentioned before. That Canadians identify who and what they are by, by identifying what they're not. But it goes deeper than that. The average Canadian, the average person, human, is made up of so many little disparate parts. I have talked about this myself. Uh, growing up here, uh, speaking English and French, uh, having a background very strongly uh, identifying with the Irish, but also, I've mentioned my background going all the way back to the Comte d'Eon, 
related marrying the daughter of the Comte d'Eon uh, in France, serving uh, in France, uh, going back to Ireland, developing an entire new naming convention for Irish culture. All that is my family's identity, our background, our culture. But on my mother's side, uh, very English, lots of identity in there as well. On uh, my father's side, uh, on the other side, uh, my grandmother being an uh, indigenous native, she had to give up her identity, which is really, truly sad uh, in the culture uh, and in uh, legal status. Uh, my grandmother had to give up all rights to being a native as the daughter of a chief, locally too, which is sad, to marry my grandfather. Beautiful lady, because, uh, gosh great compassion to, to try to help this um, decorated vet who was very severely traumatized by the war um, so she she did go a long way to help the man right so there's an identity as well an identity of service my family have served our country for generations I attempted to serve, but they told me my marks weren't high enough for the Royal Military College. They invited me to join the infantry at the time when supposedly the army was just a mess. Cutbacks and all that sort of jazz. So I just turned my back on that identity. Right, Being the first in my family to not have served. But I, to a certain extent, I've realized recently I have tried. I tried to join... Uh, the Royal Military College, I was in cadets. I tried to join the reserves more than once, right? Medical reasons, and then more recently, I even tried to join just before uh, uh, our pandemic that was coming through uh, because I was giving tours at a Chinese temple. Uh, I was one of the first around here to, to get sick and to see uh, these people sick. That was uh, you know, October of 2019, October, November, don't quote me. As I mentioned, we opened one of the largest um, Buddhist temples outside of Asia, here in Ontario, Canada. Uh, Wu Tai Shan is what it's called. Uh, and so we had tens of thousands of people uh, from around the world come in. Uh, and after we opened uh, Wu Tai Shan, we had a special program uh, here in southern Ontario at another temple museum complex. And so we had uh, hundreds and hundreds of monks uh, from all over, mostly from mainland China, uh, came over uh, and we gave them tours through all of, like we have some, we had uh, uh, all sorts of antiquities in this museum. It was really quite beautiful. I think I've mentioned this one story too. One of the most senior monks of these, um, of these, uh, Tours. Um, <clears throat> I was asked uh, when they were doing tours. Uh, I initially thought that I was asked to give these tours um, as what's called a white monkey. I thought it was because I was Western. There was very few of us that were involved. Uh, and I was told uh, one of the big reasons was because they didn't see most Westerners as devout practitioners of Buddhism because they felt they were tainted by Christianity. Now, as me not being tainted by Christianity per se, but the real truth 
is an open mind. I've always had an open mind, and I've mentioned this before, Buddhism fit the bill for my traumatic childhood, my experience. It helped me survive a narcissistic mother and an abusive father. Uh, never mind a brother that was no better, you know. And a very cold and, and distant grandmother, but I loved her very much. We shared more in common than the rest of the nightmare in the family. But this one monk, he thought it was pretty cool, right, walking around, and I was showing him around. But I found out the reason why is because I understood the stuff better than the majority of their own tour guides. Because when I first started giving tours in this temple, this Chinese temple, um, but Chinese, it's, it's a mix, but it's mostly uh, Chinese, uh, with lots of Indians come, um, Vietnamese, Koreans, right? Um, it was a blend of Chan and um, Guanyin uh, sect. Uh, so it attracted Zen practitioners and it attracted uh, Devi uh, goddess worshippers of all sorts of different sects. But as I said, we're given a tour. We're up in one of my favorite um, levels. Uh, in this level, we have a, a Chenrezig um, statue, uh, many armed, uh, brass, gold statue of Abilokiteswara, um, Guanyin uh, Chenrezig in, in Tibetan. It's the Bodhisattva of compassion. It's the, uh, the Buddha uh, that uh, reincarnates as the Dalai Lama. One of her uh, dimensional bodies could be considered. Uh, androgynous, obviously, but uh, we tend to show her as, as female, but anyways, it's really quite interesting. This floor is more about Avilokiteswara, right, Granyin, all these different statues and, um, and old texts, but mostly the tours revolved around these statues. But when this very high monk had come in, of course, she's not as interested in the statues, particularly that most of the statues were not of his tradition, they were uh, Tibetan or or, uh, or otherwise. Um, some of them gifted, some of them... Uh... So he was interested more in some of these texts, and I don't even think the person who was in charge of running the whole complex even understood what was in one of these cabinets, whereas I did understand. I knew there were little drawers, drawers for scrolls. And so he, that's what he was interested in. They were showing him this famous scroll that was under glass, but he kept looking over at this, right? And I was standing next to it, and he kept looking over at this, and so I said, well, here. And so I just pulled out a drawer, and I laid it on the glass table. Didn't touch it, just the drawer. And the monk took out the scroll, and would you believe that it was a scroll written by his teacher? So for him, that was, oh my, gosh, look at that. That is the Dharma. Right? So they all were just in awe and they were arguably freaked out at this. Right? This person who they considered an outsider who had a deeper connection to what they considered transcendent. And this monk who Again, the, the cliché or, or the common thought would be that he would see me as other, not as a member of the group. Didn't even hesitate to see me as a member of this global sangha, maybe even one 
uh, with a little more oomph, right? Because after that, things kind of changed. They actually brought in, uh, like I said earlier, they brought in some uh, tour guys to test me out to see if I knew what I was talking about, and they ended up actually asking me questions, and I ended up being kind of a mentor to most of the, the tutors, uh, most of the, the tour guides, because there was these questions that they couldn't get answered in their own culture because the example would be, say, the De Devis, uh, uh, the Asuras. Um, in their culture, these gods, for some reason, are looked up to, same as these Arahats. The problem is these gods in, in the Buddhist pantheon are not meant to be looked up to. They're actually a failure of enlightenment, in a sense, because they're stuck on the path because of ego or because of arrogance or because of um, desire to be worshipped or whatever it might be. It's a lesson that you can be a very powerful uh, being indeed and still be delusional and still need a, a tremendous amount of, of work to fix yourself and to understand, to know thyself. And, and sometimes great powers can actually make things worse, right? And, and so things kind of changed. I wish they brought in the, the abbot uh, to meet us, and he, he was really quite excited, and he'd heard about us, my wife and I. And then um, just, so what I'm getting at here, how identity can be arbitrary, but the meaning doesn't change. So that first Dharma recognition meant very little to me because I knew it was pure chance. Like, at least for me, I don't believe that my hand was divinely inspired to pull out that particular scroll. But a different experience, another Dharma recognition experience did provide me with that certainty. So another experience is we were sitting, teaching meditation to a group of uh, Western students, a mixture of Chinese and Western. So the Chinese monk was speaking Chinese, and I did my best to translate where she had trouble. And so because this class had gone so well, she was really chuffed. She said, hey, you know, I want to teach you guys a little secret. Again, remember this particular sect, I don't know if they're even uh, uh, encouraged, let alone maybe discouraged from teaching meditation to them. That's another whole separate discussion. She said, I'm going to teach you a mudra, which is a hand movement. And she said, I'll teach you the mudra of uh, Amitofu, which is um, Amitabha, Amitavis, uh, the god of light, the god of infinite life. I guess you'd call kind of like an Adi Buddha, like a primordial Buddha, like one that predates all of uh, the pantheon that we know of. So it's one of the really earliest. So it's not like I wouldn't have come across it, but uh, Amitabha was never one of my Buddhas. It's weird. But I knew what the mudra was. Right? As she was explaining the mudra, right? she was just explaining how you put your, your uh, fingers together here. Um, I just put my my hands together and I ended up putting them in the and, and right now I can't remember exactly which one was the now remember I've read hundreds of books since this incident because I wasn't able to really read back then um, 
right? Like if I were to read, say, the Lankavatara, I'd have to listen to it a couple few times uh, in the audiobook. Then I would uh, try to read sections as best I could. Um, right? That's the way it used to be. Now, uh, recently, uh, I, I found that I can blast through a book in, in less than a day. So it kind of shows this identity, right? This narrative theory that we need to work on. I allowed others to tell me that I was horribly deficient in so many areas. When in, a in actuality, I just mentioned recently, I pulled out my test. My test was when I was at 16 years, 7 months. And I tested on the top uh, few percentile in, in, in a few areas. I was actually uh, superior in a number of areas and average in others. So the, the psych psychiatrist, I believe he was, I actually went to school with his daughter. That's how I, I know a little bit more about this guy that tested me. And we spent hours doing this. He, he actually said in his assessment that that's why he was sure I had a, a disability, a learning disability, uh, some sort of deficiency. Because he said it was the differential between areas I was extremely good in, high functioning, versus areas I was just average.